Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You may be seated. Thank you, Clayton. Good morning. So, last week, Clayton talked to us all about the first four of the commandments, and today I get the opportunity to talk about the other six. I don't know what that says about the work distribution between the pastor and his intern, but I'll let you form your own opinion about that. So actually, there is a legitimate reason for splitting the commandments this way. As Clayton mentioned last week, the first four commandments all have to do with the Israelites' relationship with God while the following six all concern how the Israelites related to one another in the new community they were living in. And the more I think about it, the more that it makes sense that God would give them rules for dealing with each other. They're going to be wandering around a desert for 40 years. When I'm back on break from school and I'm with my family for four days, I'm glad that there are laws telling me what I can and can't do. (laughs) That's a joke. I love my family. God wants his people to thrive and grow. And to help them along the way, he gave them these commandments. It's not just this crazy list that a legalistic, egalitarian God put together to show and exert his power over his people. These commandments provided a bedrock on which the rest of the law was laid. And these commandments, as we'll talk about later, further show just how much God cares about our daily interactions with him, but also how much he cares about our day-to-day thoughts, intentions, and actions. That being said, your single-sentence sermon summary today is this. God cares about every aspect of our lives, and we must trust in him and his sovereignty. God cares about every aspect of our lives, and we must trust in him and his sovereignty. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a few of these commandments in light of this claim. We're also going to see how God used this law to foreshadow the eventual new covenant that he would soon bring about through his son. So let's start by looking at one of the most quoted verses by parents throughout history. Honor your father and mother. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that from two certain people growing up, I could have been out of their hair a lot earlier. (laughs) That's my dad. So obviously, this verse is here for a reason. The family is one of God's most treasured structures and is meant to emulate what a relationship with God looks like, with the parents providing for their children and their children respecting and loving their parents. The word honor here actually more closely relates to the idea that because your parents took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself, one day when your parents are no longer be able to take care of themselves, you'll take care of them. And this is an amazing and beautiful view of the two-way street that parenting brings about when done well. Honoring your parents should come about as a byproduct of the parents showing their children God's love 
and exemplifying that lifestyle and their parental roles. And obviously, that's a lot easier said than done, I assume. In case any of you don't know, I don't have kids. But it's another way of showing us how God views us as his children. Because sometimes, kids just aren't the smartest, bless their hearts. As most of you probably know, I was blessed to work at a summer camp for three months this past summer. And I chose for reasons that I now cannot comprehend to spend nine weeks with 15-year-old boys, uh, arguably one of the most challenging demographics on the planet, and I say that having been one myself. Have you ever heard or seen something and then you just feel dumber for being subjected to it? That was, that was my summer. That was my life for nine straight weeks. And I'm sure that at times that's exactly how God views us. Or at least me, I can't speak for you, I guess. And although I'm never sure that I was as bad as any of my campers, uh, I'd like to think this, take this opportunity to thank my parents for having the patience to raise me and not put me up for adoption. <laughs> because they showed me and loved me, uh, because they loved me and showed me God's love, I'm now able to love and, uh, others and model all that they've done for me. This leads us into our next verse that we're going to talk about, you shall not steal. And while at first blush, this may seem pretty self-explanatory, uh, one of those rules that seem pretty straightforward. Uh, so much so that I often find myself wondering why God even decided to put it there in the first place. But if you remember, again, the context for this, it may make a little bit more sense. The Israelites are just starting out as a nation, and in a peasant society where life is hard, any theft of property could lead to death. Therefore, that's a pretty serious crime. And although summer camp is not quite a desert society, uh, some of my campers must have thought that it was, I was blown away by <laughs> some of these kids and their sticky fingers. They would steal anything and everything. And I compiled a list for you all in case you were wondering. Uh, we had campers steal snacks, socks, a really big rock that was outside of our cabin. It, it must have taken at least three of them, and I'm not sure when they did that. Uh, toilet paper, goggles, name tags, peanut butter packets from the cafeteria, uh, water bottles, shampoo for some reason, I don't know, uh, and many other things that I didn't notice because I was sleep deprived. It is incredible that such a seemingly simple rule can be so hard to follow. And Paul actually talks about this in Romans 7, if any of you want to turn there now. Uh, Paul is one of my favorite biblical characters, and I think that he has a great perspective on this coming from a very legalistic aspect. Starting in verse 7, he states, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. 
Have you ever seen a sign near a wall that says wet paint? Ben, what is your first instinct when you see a wall that says wet paint? Well, I wrote down that my first response would be to touch it. Ben is a taster, I guess. <laughs> would, you, would you have licked the wall if the sign wasn't there? All right, so <laughs> probably not. Gosh. That's the last time I asked Ben a question from the pulpit. Goodness. The sign itself made us aware of the possibility for action. And our natural tendency is to test the waters and see whether or not the paint is really wet or what it tastes like, apparently. Through this simple commandment, God shows us just how errant our human tendencies can be and just how imperfect we all are and how much we desperately need a savior. Moving on to another seemingly straightforward command, you shall not bear false witness. Now, although we commonly interpret this as you shall not lie today, it had a different meaning at the time. Bearing false witness referred to the giving of a false testimony in a court of law. Now, once again, in a desert society like the one that the Israelites were living in, nearly all crimes were capital charges, and a successful false witness could be equivalent to a murder. So through this commandment, God isn't only telling his people what he expects of them in court or simply just to be nice to each other. He's also preparing his people to be holy and upright against their upcoming scrutiny that they'll face when they enter the land of Canaan. So clearly God holds truth in a very high regard and thinks that we should as well. One of my formative memories growing up uh, involves truth or lack thereof. Uh, I was five or four or something like that, I don't know. I was young and me and my sister were not in school, we were at home doing Lord knows what. Uh, but we had bug juice earlier that day and we had the empty container for it. it was, it's a really sugary drink, it was a bad idea. Um, but we were also playing with paint and water and we found out that if you mix the paint and the water in the right way, it actually makes a substance that looks like bug juice. So we put the paint water inside the container and put the container in the refrigerator and then my older sister, Olivia, came back from school. And I think that she was upset that we got bug juice and she didn't or something. So we told her that we actually saved some for her. So she goes to the refrigerator. The paint wasn't toxic or anything. Like, she's fine. Uh, she goes to the refrigerator and she takes a drink of the bug juice and instantly spits it out and starts crying and runs to my mom, I think, I don't, I don't really remember, because uh, the next thing I know, I am getting dragged upstairs to the bathroom and then I have soap in my mouth. Um, and I still remember what the soap tastes like, it was awful. Uh, so it was through my mom's punishment that I learned the value of telling the truth. You only have to eat soap once to learn that lesson, in fact. Paul further expands on this commandment in chapter 4 of his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, starting in verse 29, he states, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. In this passage, Paul takes what many Jewish people already knew concerning the law and elevates it to relate to all areas of speech. He also mentions acting in the likeness of Christ and suggests that we all attempt to emulate what he did for us, which could be a sermon in and of itself. Moving into the last commandment that God gives, we see yet another dynamic shift. God switches from commandments concerning words and actions uh, to his final commandment, which relates to your thoughts in the phrase of you shall not covet. Through this commandment, God is showing that not only does he care about our outward actions and words, he also cares deeply about what's going on internally in our hearts and minds. A full and harmonious relationship is not possible for the Israelites without every aspect of their lives conforming to God's will. And it's this commandment, maybe more than any of the other ones, that shows how impossible it is to uphold the law perfectly. To covet and desire the things of this world that you don't yet have is almost human nature. Our capitalist society is built on the bedrock of personal growth and acquiring tangible things off of which your success is determined. And while that isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, it's when it obstructs and distracts us from what really matters that it becomes a problem. In a sense, coveting the things that others have may actually show a lack in your faith that God loves you and will provide what you need. There are numerous places throughout the Bible where God demonstrates his love and care for, that he has for his people. But one of my favorite places is in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. In chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the crowd about how they shouldn't worry. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Think about when you were young or younger. Do you remember getting worried and stressed about things that just seemed so important at the time? The issues that felt like life and death, like how the kids didn't give you a fair turn on the playground that day. How do you feel about that now? Do you laugh about it? Does it seem almost silly? So what are you worried about today? Do you really think that it's any less silly in the grand scheme of things than what you were worried about as a child? Now, this is definitely me pointing out the speck of dust in your eye when I have a plank in my own. Ask anyone who's close to me and they could tell you just how much I worry about anything and everything. And it seems like it's just so easy to worry about things today. We're constantly being bombarded with negativity, like we're using non-renewable resources too quickly or political discord seemingly being at an all-time high. There's hate and fear-mongering everywhere you go. And on top of all that, I have a 12 essay psychology test to take when I get home that I know I'm not gonna want to do. And then once I finally do finish that test, I have a list of things that I need to get done before Monday that has six things on it. So did I partially do that to myself through procrastinating? I mean, probably. But regardless, the worry that I cause myself is very real. I love when people ask me what my favorite verse or chapter of the Bible is because it's constantly changing because I'm constantly changing, but right now I actually really, really like the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and Ecclesiastes is a book that's commonly 
looked at as being semi-depressing, but it's written by this person called the Kohelet, or the teacher. And there are some really wise and uplifting passages in this book. And one of my favorites comes from chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. It says, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. The writer says throughout this book that a lot of things are meaningless, which can also be translated more accurately as smoke or vapor. And if we look at our lives here on earth in the light of our eternal souls, he's absolutely 100% right. We see this further in 1 John 2.17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives on forever. Through this statement, we're able to discern how we should live our lives. All of our decisions, thoughts, and actions should be heaven-focused. Every one of our thoughts, actions, and decisions should be in regard to our eternal souls. We should be constantly aware of the effects of our words and actions have on those around us and also how they reflect on our God. Now, does this mean that God considers our ultimately trivial worries about the things of this earth childish? Absolutely not. Time and time again throughout the Bible, we're able to see how much God empathizes with those that call out to him. Jesus offers that comfort to us all, saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's also a song that I love by Elevation Worship called, O Come to the Altar, and it encapsulates the idea of laying down your worries and your stressors at the feet of the Most High King. A portion of that says, leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus' calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that throughout the upcoming week, God will be working in all of us molding us into a more accurate representation of what it looks like to lay down our troubles and fully trust in his sovereignty. Amen.